So we're just talking about how apart from Christ, we're lost. We are lost. Uh, and none of us can be good enough. And as I'm kind of rehearsing a few of these basic truths, there's this one guy uh, in the lunch who literally kept raising his hand. Oh, yeah, that's me. That's me. I, I need Jesus. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've done a whole bunch of bad things. And it was, it was so uh, exciting to me because I'm thinking, you know what? You are in such the perfect place to receive the grace of Christ. Because there is a spiritual principle at work, and that is until we humble ourselves and admit, I need saved, you can't embrace Jesus as your Savior. And there is something within us that fights that. And we might even be willing to say, I need some help, but to come to that biblical posture of, I am completely and utterly without hope apart from Jesus. We just resist that. Uh, And so we have to humble ourselves if we want to receive God's grace in our lives. So own that. And uh, what does humbling yourself before the Lord look like? We have to humble ourselves. Well, one of the things Paul is doing here in these first three chapters of Romans is he is humbling us. He is taking the time to strip away any hope we might have in our own goodness uh, and show us we need Jesus before I go any farther, I just want to um, celebrate uh, the, the excellent Bible studies that Pastor James has been producing for us. Uh, we're studying the first three chapters of Romans during this series, and uh, he's been coming out with just outstanding Bible studies, so you can get go even deeper when you're at home. And then, um, so here's the, the last part of chapter two, and then he'll have chapter three for us before we get into chapter three, but we're Right now, we're in chapter 2. This, I don't mean to denigrate that, but it's going on far. Okay. So, I, uh, if you don't have one of those, grab them uh, um, on your way out from the table. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Light unto our uh, path, a lamp unto our feet. And we're so thank you that you have taken the time to reveal your will and your ways to us in your word. And so, we pause. We choose to put away the distractions of our lives and listen, and we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves before the Lord so that we can receive from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I doubt that many of Paul's readers were too scandalized, ourselves included, uh, in chapter 1 where Paul said, look, the godless, wicked people of the world are under the wrath of God and will face His judgment. And, And I think we say, well, okay, people who live life without regard for the Lord, and they just do whatever they want to do, okay, makes sense that God would not be happy with them and that they would get judged for that, but I'm not in their boat, right? I'm a God-fearing, Bible-believing, do-good person. I'm a moral person, so I'm not in the same boat as the godless, wicked people. My boat is safe, and then Paul turned his guns on that boat and said, guess what? You're not good enough. Uh, As the Apostle James says, he who keeps the whole law and yet offends it in one point is guilty of breaking it all. It only takes one sin to sink your boat, to put you in the category of sinner, and then the judgment of God falls upon you. So whether you're the godless, wicked person or the moral person, you need Jesus. All of us need Christ. 
Well, today there is a third group of people that uh, some might think are safe from the wrath of God or not needing Jesus, and that's the person who's really never been exposed to the teachings of the Bible. Uh, you know, if, you, if you've never heard the name of Jesus, you've never been taught what God's wills and way, ways are, then how will, you know, is he really going to hold you accountable to that? And, and so aren't those people safe? And so the Apostle Paul today uh, answers that question. What about the people who've never heard? And the answer, uh, th- this discussion is found in chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. Uh, we're going to walk through this text, understand Paul's argument, and then we're, we're going to apply it to specifically at the end to the question of what about those who've heard, never heard of Jesus? Are they, it, do they have a chance to be saved apart from faith in Christ? Chapter 2, verse 12, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they're a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness." And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So the first thing Paul says is, God will judge people according to what they know. That's verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. God's only going to judge you according to what you know. And so if you don't know that God sent Jesus to save the world from sin, you're not going to get thrown into hell because you didn't believe in a Jesus about whom you never heard. That sin will not be counted against you. There are a lot of other sins that will be accounted against you and for which you'll be tossed into hell, but not that. Notice whether people have the law or don't have the law, Paul still refers to them as sinners. So God will. So this is a spiritual principle. God will hold people accountable for what they know. They will be judged according to what they know. Now at this point we might be thinking, okay, well then people who uh, you know haven't heard the teachings of the Bible are safe, right? Well, not so fast. Verse 13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Um, First off, note that hearing the gospel, hearing uh, the Bible preached, doesn't do anything for your relationship with God unless you act on it. Right? You can have all the head knowledge uh, in the world and you not be right with the Lord. You can answer all of the theological tests perfectly, score the highest, but if it has not translated into your uh, behavior, well, it doesn't do any good for you 
in your relationship with the Lord. So the Apostle James, by the way, says, don't be hearers of the word only, but doers also. Um, God is not interested in just changing your beliefs. He is interested in changing your behavior. That is true. God expects His people to grow in Christ's likeness throughout a lifetime, a process we called sanctification. We should be more like Jesus this year than we were last year and next year more than we were this year, right? And um, in that is abundant life. We, we experience a more blessed life the more we become like Jesus in, in reality. So God is not just interested in, in people's um, head knowledge getting right. He wants their behavior to get right also. But here's the point he's making. Uh, the real the essential point he's making here is this. If, if someone could consistently do what they know to be right, they would be right with God. If, if you were to always, always, always do what you knew was right, you'd be right with God. That's what the Bible teaches the problem is, there's only one person who has ever done that, and that is Jesus Christ, the God-man. You and I, and every other person who has ever lived, has done what they knew to be wrong, and therefore is not justified in the sight of God. But Jesus was and is, and that's actually quite significant. What did God say about His Son? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Why? Because Jesus always, always, always did what was right. And so He was right with God because of His behavior. And the amazing thing is, when you are united with Jesus Christ by faith, His righteousness is applied to your account, and therefore you are justified with God. It's just as if you'd never sinned because Christ's righteousness is yours. And the sins that you have committed or do commit, they are covered, uh, atoned for by the death of Christ, the blood of Christ applied to your sins and my sins. So it's actually a, a very significant spiritual truth that if someone were to consistently do what is right, they would be justified in, with God, right with God. Only Christ did that but we can enter into that through faith in Christ. But, but when you think about what about the person who doesn't know the Bible or hasn't heard the gospel, well, hey, they're only going to be held, they're only going to be judged by what they know, and if they were able to, could always do what they knew to be right, they'd be right with God. So far, we're like, okay, well, maybe there's hope for people outside of Jesus. Then we come to 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they're a law to themselves even though they don't have the law. Now, when Paul says Gentile, he's divided the world into two groups, the Gentiles and the Jews. And the Jews had the, the Bible, right? The Old Testament. They had the law of God, God's revelation. It's not like the Gentiles had no ability to access that, but they just weren't. It's same, same with, uh, you know, in, the, in Anchorage, Alaska, there are many, many, there are tens and tens of thousands of people who, you know, don't have the law. They don't have the Bible. Why? Not because they can't go to Walmart and buy one. It's, they just, they don't. And so, 
they, it's as if they have no law because they're not exposing themselves to, to the teachings of God. But you don't have to be a, a biblically knowledgeable Christian person in order to do what the Bible teaches sometimes. That's what Paul's pointing out. He says, look, you look at Gentiles who don't even have the Word of God. They don't know, they don't know what the Bible teaches, and yet, in many cases, they're doing what the Bible teaches. You don't have to be biblically knowledgeable to know cheating on my spouse is wrong. Stepping on my friend to get ahead is wrong. Stealing, lying, killing, right? People have an innate sense of what is right or wrong, and you don't need the Bible to have that. Just look at the Gentile. So he's, you know, he's talking probably here largely to his Jew- Jewish audience and saying, look at the Gentiles. You know, they, they clearly have a morality, and often that morality lines up with the teachings of the Bible. Where, where does that come from? And he tells us in vi- verse 15, they show by this uh, morality, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Ah, here's another spiritual principle. God. Who is it that writes the law of God on the hearts of people? God does. So the Creator writes on every human heart His law, a, a, a sense of right and wrong. Now, it's not as thorough as the Bible. I, I think of it as the Cliff Notes, right? The Cliff Notes version of His moral law. But when you come out of the womb, your Creator has imprinted on you a sense of right and wrong, and it's in, and it's in harmony with what, what is then taught in the Bible. In a, and so think about that. You, you, you're born in, in a jungle tribe and you have zero contact with the outside world. You still have the law of God written on your heart. Everyone, everywhere, in all times has had that. Oh, so even though we don't have the Bible, we still have knowledge of uh, the will of God. In addition... Paul says, God gives us a conscience that bears witness to the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. What is the conscience bearing witness to? What's it pointing to? It's pointing to the law. And, and every, person will, every person will testify to the fact that they've, they've, there's something in them that says, ooh, don't do that. That's not good. Hey, that would be a bad thing to do. Right? We have a conscience. Everyone on planet Earth has a conscience that bears witness to the law of God. And that's a gift that God has given us. Now, here's the problem. The problem is we can sear our conscience. The Bible talks about that in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, and so what does it mean to sear your conscience? It's, it means that you can deaden your conscience. And how do you do that? Well, the primary way is by sinning against your conscience. You know, your mind says, you shouldn't do that. That's your conscience. And all of a sudden, you're like, well, I'm going to do it anyways, because I want to do it for whatever your reasonings are. Maybe it's peer pressure. Maybe society has told you, actually, don't listen to your conscience. Your conscience is wrong. That conscience was given to you by an oppressive, you know, Christian-dominated culture, right? And you can't trust that. 
It's, and so, for whatever reasons, people say, I'm not going to listen to the conscience, and I'm going to do otherwise. Well, the first time you do that, and I think about it like you take an iron and you sear your flesh the first time, it hurts like crazy, right? Ow! But you've kind of deadened the skin, and the next time you do it, it doesn't hurt quite as much. You keep doing that, and eventually it's just scar tissue, and the nerve endings are dead, and you're not even noticing it. Still just as damaging to you, but you're not noticing it. R.C. Sproul gives an illustration of this, and he said about 50 years ago, um, there was a a woman by the name of Javiera Hollander, uh, and she was a prostitute, and she wrote a book called The Happy Hooker. And her, the, the point of her book was, uh, I am a prostitute, and I like what I do. Now, in her book, she admits that early on, you know, when she started out, she had pains of guilt, but those went away, except when she hears church bells ring, and then she's reminded that what she's doing is not what she was taught was right. And he said, look, all she's doing is giving us an illustration of this principle of, of searing your conscience. If you engage in a sinful behavior often enough, it will no longer seem bad to you. But you know what? You've just done terrible violence to a great gift God has given you. You've, given, you've done violence to yourself. So, beware of the searing of your conscience. And this applies to Christians as well as non-Christians. Don't go there. The sin will start to seem less significant. And and you can spiral into deeper and deeper uh, sin. So, don't go there. But the the simple point that Paul's making is, listen... (laughs) People who have, have not been exposed to the teachings of the Bible still have the law of God written on their heart, and they still have a conscience that bears witness to that. And here's the final point. On the day of judgment, it will be revealed that every person who has ever lived anywhere on planet Earth has sinned against their conscience. That's the end of verse 15. Well, their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. There is coming a day of judgment in which our secrets will be revealed. And what will be revealed is that every person knew what was right and what was wrong at some level, and they chose to do wrong anyways. You did it. I did it. The person off in the jungle with no exposure to the outside world has done it. We've all done it. What's Paul's point? What's Paul's point is <laughs> there is no innocent person. There's, there is no innocent person. Uh, you can't hide behind the, uh, uh, behind the defense of, I didn't know what the Bible teaches. Well, the law of God was written on your heart, and he gave you a conscience, and you blew right through that. Guilty. The wrath of God rests upon you because of your sin, and the judgment of God is coming. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. 
Now, knowing the Bible is a great blessing. On one hand, the Bible, uh, the Bible says, not many of you should be teachers because you're going to be judged more strictly. There's the principle of to whom much is given, much is required. Yes, but when we know the will of God, then we can find our best life. So actually, knowing the will and the ways of God is a tremendous blessing because you can then put your pattern your life in harmony with that, and you will find life to, to the full. But there is no innocent person. There's no innocent person. So let's, <clears throat> let's now take Paul's teachings and apply it to the person who's never heard the gospel. Okay? Well, the first, the, the first point is the person who has never heard the gospel has still sinned knowingly, and is therefore condemned. And that actually is uh, uh, what John chapter 3, verse 18 says. Now, John 3, 16 is the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What amazing promise. God, verse 17, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him would be saved. Yay! Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. What a glorious truth. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are not condemned, neither now nor will you be on the day of judgment. Why? Because your sins have been paid for by the death of Jesus Christ, and the righteousness of Christ has been applied to your account so that you are justified in the eyes of God because of Jesus Christ. You are not condemned. You are welcomed as a child into the presence of your father. Incredible truth. And it's whoever believes. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. Everyone has the opportunity to believe. Um, and and uh, I heard a preacher one time say, and I, I, I've tried to uh, grab this for myself, but he goes, you, you know, it doesn't matter how far you have run. This was down at the uh, downtown soup kitchen. This old uh, native Alaskan preacher, and I just like, I got I to gotta grab that. It doesn't matter how far you've run, how, how long you've run, uh, what you've done, God loves you, and today you can turn to God. What an incredible truth. You, you, uh, the only thing that will, will uh, damn you is not turning to Jesus, not the pile of your sins. Oh, they're too, it doesn't matter how great your sins are. Jesus, Jesus is bigger than that, right? So this is why the Apostle Paul could have been a, a murderer of Christians and still be uh, preeminently, perfectly saved, and so can you. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. The storm cloud of God's wrath and condemnation, condemnation rests upon them. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And I don't, I don't understand that to mean uh, the sin they're guilty of is rejecting a Jesus that they might never have heard about. But rather, the only life ring that God throws humanity is Jesus. And if you haven't grabbed a hold of that life ring, well, you stand condemned already. And you haven't taken the one means of escape from God's coming judgment, which is Jesus. Now, there is one issue that I, I think 
um, let me throw out there, and I do think is, uh, has validity. And it, it, here's the challenge. The challenge is, hey, when you th- in the Old Testament, pre-Christ, people like Abraham and Nahum and all the people of, from the chapter 11 of Hebrews, the, you know, the Hall of Fame, they did not call upon the name of Jesus. They didn't know Jesus, right? And yet, so what did they do? They responded in faith to the knowledge that they had, and God credited that to them as righteousness. Genesis says that. Hebrews says that. So, and now, they are, how are they saved? They're saved by the blood of Christ. God applies to their account. But their faith was not, you know, faith in the gospel as we understand it. So, what about people today? What if somebody has never heard and they respond in faith to the light of their knowledge? Couldn't God apply the blood of Christ to them? And the, and the hypothetical answer to that is He can because God can do whatever He wants and He hasn't told us, He hasn't answered, He hasn't told us what He'll do in that situation. So, how, but, now this is super, super important. God has not in the Bible authorized you and me to believe that, and He certainly has not authorized us to proclaim that. Okay? It's a hypothetical possibility because God hasn't said what He'll do in that situation, and so God can do what He wants to do. But the Bible does not authorize me to believe that people can uh, can get to heaven apart from faith in Jesus Christ nor does it authorize me to proclaim that. In fact, what the Bible, what the Bible says very clearly is, uh, apart from Jesus Christ, you stand condemned already, and God has made a way of escape, and it's through the sending of His Son, Jesus. And so if you will put your faith in God's Son, Jesus, you will be saved. In Romans, just so um, seven, eight chapters later, Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul asks this question, and I think he wants us to feel the burden of evangelism. Here's what he asks. Or first, first off, he, he makes this great statement um, in verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you call on the name of Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Ah, there's the great promise of the gospel. Verse 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So the the promise, if you call on the name of Jesus, you're going to be saved. But how are you going to call on Jesus if you've never heard about him or you've never believed in him? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? And, And it's rhetorical, right? The answer is they can't. God has sent his son. If you call on Jesus, you'll be saved. How are you going to call on the name of Jesus unless... Somebody tells you about him. Implication is you can't. And God wants you and me to feel that burden and the urgency of evangelism. Your family members, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, mine, they will face judgment. And at the judgment, they will be condemned and cast into hell unless... One thing, unless they have put their faith in Jesus Christ and grabbed a hold of God's life ring. That's the teaching of the Bible. That's what we are authorized to believe and to pro- 
claim. And not to take, not to put our hope in, in, in any other hypotheticals, right? So there's an urgency, and the urgency is how, how is your friend going to hear? How is your family member going to hear? How is our fellow man on the other side of the world going to hear about Jesus so that they can get saved unless we go and we tell? Unless we decorate our trunks and dress up in a costume and hand out bags. Boy, it is so easy to be distracted from what is so, so, so important. And, and God does not let us off the hook. I don't know why, but God has entrusted the gospel to us, <laughs> weak, fallible people. And yet God says, be strong and courageous. You open your mouth and you take the relational risk and you tell people about what God has done for you and you invite them to church, and you, you endure the awkwardness and the potential backlash and, or, or downgrading of your hierarchical, you know, your social status. You do that because love compels you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I invite you. Turn to Him and get saved. Very simply, but to as, to, to as many as receive him, to them gave he the right to become children of God. Nothing I would rather do than to witness that. So after the service, you come up to me and we'll talk and we'll pray. And then we'll talk about, okay, now what does life look like that, now that I'm a Christian? Because there's a, there's a whole lot about how then do you live the Christian life, and it's pretty awesome. Let's take a moment and pray as the band comes back up. Lord, we, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we just squirm. There's something within us that just resists so much the position that we really are in. Completely, utterly hopeless. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is only one name under heaven whereby men can be saved. Lord, may we, your people who are saved, own that. Feel it, and then with, a, with the appropriate urgency, go off into the world and proclaim the good news to others. And through us as a church, would you begin to win more and more people to Christ? Give us the privilege of baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching to obey all that Christ has commanded us. May we, as a church, make a real difference for eternity here in Anchorage, Alaska, around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.